The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Good morning. Excited that you are here today uh, on the, a beautiful Sunday, by the way. Uh, we haven't had too many beautiful Sundays, and uh, so I'm stoked that you're here. If I haven't met you before, maybe this is your first time here today, or maybe you've uh, started coming in the last few months and haven't had necessarily a chance to um, meet a lot of the pastors and staff. I just want to introduce myself. My name is Ryan, one of the pastors on staff, and I'm stoked because we're diving back into a message series that we have been in called Once Upon a Time. Uh, the series is, as we know, many stories that we read and books that we read often, sometimes they'll start with the lines, once upon a time. If you're a Star Wars fan, it might say in a galaxy far, far away. But once upon a time is a series in which we're taking a look back at Scripture, Old Testament and New, and specifically uh, zeroing in on characters, individuals, and looking at their influence, what part they played in the story that God was writing, taking a look at the characteristics that they had, both sometimes their strengths and their weaknesses, and then applying it to ourselves and what we can learn from that. So if you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to read about a character that isn't often talked about. Um, so if you've got your Bibles with you, or maybe it's a, a phone or a device and you've got a Bible app, we're going to be in the book of Acts. I'm going to have you to uh, turn to Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Um, and i got to be honest with you today, and I need some confirmation from you in a moment. I'm going to tell you what to do, because i got to make sure you're on the same page with me here this morning. Um, to understand the context of this character, Character we're going to talk about because there's only a, uh, one book really that the majority of, uh, of, the, of the passages about this character is in the book of Acts. Outside of that, he's mentioned a few different times by the Apostle Paul in his epistle letters, but he's not talked about a lot. And so we kind of have to take a survey of almost the first half of the book of Acts to get an understanding, which means I'm going to have to kind of go quickly through a lot. And so if you think you can hang with me, I need you to kind of follow with me. Just blink your lights at me or turn them on and off. We won't honk right now because there's probably neighbors still sleeping. Maybe just flash your lights. Are you with me? Am I seeing any lights turn on? And Okay, there we go. All right. Okay, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 in just a moment. But first, we're going to start here. Once upon a time, just over 2,000 years ago, there was a revolution of sorts that had begun. It was originating in Jerusalem and expanding out to the reaches of Antioch, Ephesus, Athens, Corinth, and all throughout Judea, Samaria, and even to the very ends of the earth as commissioned by the central figure of this revolution, Jesus of Nazareth. In the weeks, months, and years directly following Jesus' arrest, following his death by crucifixion, his resurrection from the grave, and his ascension to heaven, members of this new movement, this new revolu revolution, coined the way by the Jewish religious leaders at the time. These individuals were levied under great persecution, threats of violence, arrest, and even death. The early leaders of the way, leaders like Peter, James, the half-brother of Jesus and pastor at the church in Jerusalem, John and the other disciples became apostles, appointed and commissioned new leaders to their ranks, all with the purpose to fulfill the great commission that Christ had given them. We look back on these moments in history, you and I, and for so many reasons, scholars and experts remind us that this revolution, that this movement, under such oppression, opposition, persecution, and even infighting and division within their own ranks over theological disputes, they say, these experts, that it should have never survived the first century. And yet we know today that it certainly did. 
We can see evidence of this not only in that the Christian religion remains, but also through much more practical means. 20 centuries have come and gone, and today the risen Lord Jesus Christ is the central figure of the human race. On our calendars, his birth divides history into two eras, B.C. and A.D. One day of every week is set aside in the remembrance of him, and our two most important holidays celebrate his birth and the other, his resurrection. On church steeples around the world, his cross has become the symbol of victory over sin and death. This one man's life has furnished the theme for more songs, books, poems, and paintings than any other person or event in history. Thousands of colleges, hospitals, orphanages, and other institutions have been founded in honor of this one who gave his life for us. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the governments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned have not changed the course of history as much as this one solitary life. This movement that came from the life of Jesus, this revolution continued and supernaturally it spread across the world and is alive and well today. And there are several New Testament figures or characters, individuals that were catalyst to this movement to see it make its way through. Of course, we've named a few already. Peter, right? And Jesus said, and on this rock, I will build my church. Peter's a big influence in the New Testament. Of course, James, the half-brother of Jesus, John. And of course, how could we forget the apostle Paul who wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament? And yet that's not None of those are the ones that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a character that is just as influential and a catalyst to that movement in the first century as those names we just mentioned. And I had you turn to Acts 9, and we're going to be there in a moment. But remember, I need to give us a survey. Do you know what a surveyor does? They go out and they survey the land. We, we need to give a survey of kind of what's happening in the context so that we can understand this individual. And the first time this individual we read about is in Acts 4.32. I just want you to listen. It says this, and it says, all of the believers of this movement were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them, because from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field he owned and brought the proceeds and laid it at the apostles' feet. The first introduction of our character today, and you may have read his name in your as you go through the one-year Bible reading plan and skimmed through. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading the one-year Bible reading plan, it's a lot of chapters a day. Sometimes I'm just trying to kind of get through it. And oftentimes Barnabas gets uh, kind of skipped over because he's not mentioned a ton. But we're gonna take a look at his influence and his impact. Obviously, this movement was now spreading. Believers are being spread throughout the cities and the region, and persecution is helping to make this a reality as well. Of course, Jesus had given the Great Commission and said, go into all the nations, right, and preach the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, right? So certainly that's happening, but persecution is a part of this as well. And I want to give you an understanding this is a critical uh, uh, illustration of the persecution that was happening because it plays directly into our story. In Acts 7, again, I know we're going to get to Acts 9 where I had you turn, but I want you to hear this. In Acts 7, 
Stephen is one of the apostles and he's preaching about Jesus. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, arrests him, right, because of what he's doing and they're questioning him and they're trying him. And what we're gonna read in just a second is after this speech that Stephen gives back to them, basically quoting the scriptures. He mentions Abraham, he mentions Moses, right? He's, he's quoting back to them exactly what these religious leaders would have been experts in, which was the Jewish law, the writings that had happened in the early years. And in essence, he turns it on them and says, but this is how you're missing it. This is how you're missing that Jesus is the Messiah and your stubbornness is there. And this is their response to him. Check this out. It says, when the members, starting in verse 54, Acts 7, 54, if you're taking notes, he said, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. And I want you to check out how these men respond. These are not children. These are not young people. These are men. And watch how they respond in verse 57. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In the very next verse, it says, and Saul was there giving his approval to his death. Now we're gonna jump into Acts 9 where I had you turn, starting in verse one, talking about that same Saul who was there at Stephen's stoning. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And so he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard a sound but did not see anyone. And so Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink. And you might be saying, Ryan, you're talking a lot about Saul. I thought our character was Barnabas. But here's the thing, you cannot talk about the life, you cannot fully understand the impact in the story of Saul who becomes the Apostle Paul without understanding the role that Barnabas played in his life. And you cannot understand the context of the importance of Barnabas's life and impact on this movement, this revolution that was happening without understanding the context of Saul and his conversion to where he becomes the Apostle Paul. We're setting the stage here. And we're gonna skip just a few verses. Proud of you guys, you're hanging with me. In Acts, same chapter nine, starting in verse 19. It says that Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on this name, speaking of Jesus? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and it says he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy amongst the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, 
They kept watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket out an opening in the wall. And he goes to Jerusalem. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, this is Saul, it says he tried to join the disciples there. But it says they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus that Saul had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And it says, so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they wanted to try and kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took Saul, took him to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. We're gonna jump into Acts 11 here in a moment because that's where this portion of the story picks up. But there are things happening simultaneous to while this is going on and I cannot pass by Acts 10. I have to give you a survey of what happens in Acts 10 before we jump into Acts 11 because Acts 10 is where this brand new idea, this is where civil unrest and arguments began to come within this movement, theologically speaking, because in Acts 10, Peter has a revelation from the Lord of a scroll that comes down and two major things happen in the process of Acts chapter 10. Number one, it has all these different animals is, is in this vision for Peter and all these different animals and the Lord says, Peter, take and eat. And he says, no, Lord, I'm not gonna eat these because they were unclean animals. They were things that they were never allowed to partake in because they were unclean. And in essence, what the Lord says is, do not call unclean what I have called clean. There's a major shift that is happening from the thousands and thousands of years of Jewish law that they all knew and it had been raised in that even Christ's death on the cross had made the unclean animals clean and that they can now do that. And there's a process that happens and some stories, some different individuals that come to Peter that the Lord uses. And another major thing that comes is this idea that it's no longer a message. This gospel message of Jesus is no longer just for the Jews, that it is for Greeks and Gentiles, men, women, slave and free. It's for everyone. There's this huge revelation, this huge change that takes place in Acts chapter 10. But for our story now, we jump into Acts 11, starting in verse 19, if you're taking notes. It says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, they traveled, and I wanna pause for a moment. I wanna read that one more time, that line. Now, those who had been scattered by persecution that broke out after what happened to Stephen, remember I mentioned in the very beginning, and this is just, it's, it's kind of a side note, but it's a powerful one that I want you to, to grasp, and it's, it's too good to, to pass up, is this idea that it wasn't just the commission of Jesus to his disciples that they went to different cities. It was actually the hardships of persecution that helped drive them to the different places that God knew they needed to be to perform the purpose that they had. Now, I stop for a moment because it, that, that principle is still true for you and I today. Sometimes God uses hardships to get us in the place where we have the purpose and the platform to be used by God. And I'll tell you this, I'm sure there's probably some here that relate, but my story, I can look back, absolutely. I'll tell you, I'm a very loyal person. It's, if you ever take the strength finders test, there's this one that's out there where it's called lion, uh, uh, golden retriever, otter, um, and beaver, right? Like a lions are leaders, you know, beavers are, uh, you know, very analytical and administrative and otters are the life of the party and golden retrievers are loyal. Well, that's part of my makeup is I'm loyal. 
Can I tell you, I probably would still be in the church I grew up in had God not used some hardships to push me out of the nest because I was comfortable. I loved it there. I loved my leaders. It was a great church. Some of you here, your story might be that you had to move to a different city or you might have lost your job and now you're in a different place or maybe you had to move across the state or to a different state because of a job and you'd much rather be where you are. But can I tell you this? God will use hardships and persecution to put you right where you need to be for the purpose that he has for you to move the mission forward. I'll tell you, I just randomly, this is a story, I'm not even kidding you. Yesterday, I've already written this message. I'm sitting on my front porch. I'm typing up an email and the Amazon van comes up. You know those big blue vans with the big you know, Amazon thing on the side? It drives up, um, and, and the guy uh, who's driving it, as I can hear the radio inside, it's pretty loud, and it's like a message. It's like somebody's preaching. And so he comes up, and he hands me a package, and so I say, hey, so I said, were you listening to like a, a message with somebody preaching? He's like, yeah, so we get into a conversation. I, I preface to say it was a 20-minute conversation. I felt bad because I'm sure he had packages to deliver, but um, we were talking about stuff, and he's like, yeah, I go to this church, and you know, he's like, man, I'm an evangelist. I go out onto the street, and I, you know, we have tracks, and we just try to talk with people about Jesus. So we get into this conversation. Of course, we talked about COVID and all the stuff, and churches not being able to meet, all those kind of things. But at the end, he basically said, hey, let me give you my card. So I follow him back to his van. And as he's grabbing one of these little track cards that he has, um, I said, man, I'll be praying for you. He goes, yeah. He goes, you know, I've been doing this only for a few months, driving and delivering for Amazon. I was in construction, but I lost my job. And he goes, man, I can't wait till I can get back because I don't really like doing this. And I said, you know, can I tell you something? I said, I don't want to be over spiritual. So I took a step. I just said, I just sensed in the Holy Spirit. I said, man, I'm literally preaching on Sunday. We'd already talked about that. I'm a pastor of a church here. And I said, um, I'm talking about Barnabas, but we're talking about even one of the issues that the first century church and the persecution that had happened that drove them to different places. The hardships in life can, can plant you right where you need to be. And I said, I don't know if this is a temporary thing for you. I'm not trying to say you're at Amazon. It's going to be your end all be all. But I said, you're at a place on purpose and God has a purpose and will use you in this place. I just want you to know that today. God will sometimes use those hardships that don't make sense to give you right where you need to be. And it's the same today as it was just over 2,000 years ago. But it says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of what was happening in Antioch um, uh, reached the church in Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the grace, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for, guess who? Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And I want you to check this out. If you want to know the influence, if you want to know if Barnabas was a catalyst, even though he's only mentioned a few times in comparison to some of the greats, like the Apostle Paul, check out this line. It says, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The title that you and I, most of us, are affiliated with in our belief, it was first coined in the church that Barnabas was the pastor of in Antioch. And by the way, when he was there, it was the new hotness. It was the new thing. Remember, because of what had happened in Acts 10, right? They were preaching to uh, not only to Jews, but to Gentiles and Greeks. And it was a crazy thing that was happening. Now, I know we covered a lot of ground, so I want to do a quick recap. And then I got just a few points and encouragement for us today. We know that persecution reigns 
in this time and that Saul is a big part of it. We know that Saul is at Stephen's stoning and he's even cheering it on. We know that Saul asked the Jewish leadership for papers to allow him to seek out and arrest members of the way and bring them back to Jerusalem, right? Saul's reputation spreads and fear of him spreads. If you were part, we, we know the story from the end. We know that Saul's transition was, was, was real and he ends up being the apostle Paul. But in that moment, if you were a believer in the way, you know who Saul is and you are fearful of, of who Saul is. And then on his way with those papers to Damascus, Saul encounters Jesus. He's blinded and he's changed. He begins to powerfully preach about Jesus. He's a master debater and speaker. He's highly educated in the Jewish law. He trained under, uh, trained under Gamaliel, which was one of the, the top kind of professors that would train the Jewish leaders. And when he comes to Jerusalem after he escapes Damascus, the disciples and the apostles don't believe that Saul has changed and they think it's a trick. He's just pretending to be this so that he can capture us. And yet it's Barnabas who goes to Saul even amidst of that fear. Here's his story. Why do we know that? Because it says when he brought Saul to the apostles, he vouched for him and told them the story of what God had done. And the apostles accept it because of Barnabas's reputation and because it's his word. Paul continues to preach in, the, in power and the apostles, because of that, the, uh, there's, there's um, plots to kill him. And so the, the apostles send him to Tarsus. Word of the Gentiles coming to believe in Antioch reaches the apostles in Jerusalem. And so they send Barnabas there to be the pastor of the church. And the church at Antioch grows and flourishes. Barnabas realizes that this job is bigger than one man. And so he travels to Tarsus to recruit Saul to bring him under his wing, to help him co-pastor the church in Antioch. It flourishes even more, and it says the disciples are first referred to as Christians in Antioch. Barnabas is a catalyst to this movement and to this revolution. You look at the power and the impact and the rising star and the fame of, of Saul, who becomes the apostle Paul, and it's because Barnabas came along and brought him along. Here's a couple of things for us. When we look at the characteristics of Barnabas, only mentioned really in the book of Acts, handful of little times mentioned here and there in a couple other of Paul's letters. But in the first chapter we read when he sells the property and brings the money, we see that he's irrationally generous. He's a sacrificial individual and he's devoted to the cause. We see that he's a good man, faithful and full of the Holy Spirit. We see that he has courage and is bold when he goes to Saul amidst the fear of who Saul is and then takes him to the apostles to vouch for him. We can see that he's a confident, selfless leader when he recruits Paul. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of pastors in our world. There's a lot of CEOs of organizations that are weak in their leadership that would be so fearful of a star that's rising, like Saul was rising. Hey, I got a good thing going on here. I'm the pastor of the church at Antioch. It's the new hotness. We're, we're doing things that nobody's ever done before. We're seeing people in droves come to believe in Jesus he could have had fear to go and grab this rising star, this incredible debater, even with the Hellenistic Jews, right, who was becoming famous and bring him in because maybe he'd be lost in the shadow, but that's not what Barnabas does. He brings him under his wing, trains him, and they co-pastor together. And ultimately, one of the greatest words that we could use to describe Barnabas is that he was an encourager. In fact, his name means son of encouragement. You may say, Ryan, why? what does this have to do with us? Well, I don't know about you, but I don't see a lot of encouragement happening these days. I see a lot of polarization. I see a lot of tribalism. I see a lot of finger pointing. I see a lot of division, but I don't see a lot of encouragement taking place, at least not enough. 
And so my question for you and I is what if, like Barnabas, we look to be people of encouragement, to identify those around us that that we could help, maybe see past their current state of wherever they are and whatever they're facing and whatever their maturity level is, right? Even past their weaknesses or their wrong ideals in our opinion, right? Or even the outer facade or reputation they have. Look at Barnabas with Saul and yet he goes to him. What if we could be people like Barnabas that could look deeper into the potential of people? What if instead of being jealous or afraid of individuals rising fame around us, their talent, their recognition. Maybe they're the young buck in your company and you're the old guard. How quickly their star is rising. And instead of being jealous, what if we could come alongside to train, encourage, strengthen so that they might succeed greater greater maybe than we have, go further maybe than we have? Why? For the cause. Barnabas isn't talked about nearly as often and with far less admiration than the young man he vouched for, than he recruited, that he sent out. But like all good mentors should, like all good leaders should, like all good parents should, let us desire for our kids, our apprentices, those that we're training up around us to go further and reach higher for the cause. May we all attempt to be a Barnabas to someone around us, amen? Father, we take a a story like this, and God, we only have about 20 minutes together to try to cover a whole idea in, in, in first half, and there's even more in the rest of Acts, God, that we know that we're Barnabas and Paul go on their missionary journeys and a lot more to this, but God, th- these simple principles God, I pray that we would choose in the midst of the season and, and what we face in our world, whether it's from social media or our neighbors, whatever our political affiliation, whatever, whatever we believe, God, again, two things. One, what we sang this morning, that our lives are not built on those things, but built on your word, that we are Christians first, not fill in the blank first. We are believers and followers of you first, not a political affiliation, not thrown with the waves of what media says and culture and society says. And second, God, that we would be encouragers to those around us, that yes, maybe somebody that we could train, we could encourage who's down and out, who doesn't believe they have the gift, who by all intents and purposes look like they could never end up being somebody that could be used by God, that God, like Barnabas, we could see past it. We could encourage them and train them up to see them reach their potential and their purpose, even though their fame may be greater than ours, even though they may accomplish more than we do. God, I simply pray today for every one of us that as we engage the week, that we would remember you've called us to be an encourager, that we would look for somebody around us that we could encourage in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I appreciate you guys hanging with me. I know that's a lot of scripture to get through. Uh, appreciate that. I would encourage you to read the rest of Acts. It's pretty incredible um, to see the missionary journeys that happen and those different things. But remember, Barnabas was a catalyst 
to the movement that was happening in the first century church. Hey, I got a couple of just quick reminders for you as you head out. Number one, um, if you wanna turn in any giving uh, with your giving envelope today, or you wanna turn in that Connect card as you leave, um, there will be host team members where you can drop those in the bucket as you go. As well is if you could help us by recycling, uh, basically turning back in that uh, Gro uh, Green Grove Church drive-in card, um, that would be great. And even if you don't use uh, the offering envelope, if you could turn that back in as well, that would be great. Uh, please make sure to uh, pay attention to all of the parking staff. You guys have been doing incredible with that. Just helps us get you on and off really smoothly. And then the last thing is this, and we started this last week, is if you wanted prayer, if you need prayer today in your car with somebody from our staff, as you leave, just turn on your hazards um, and that will let the parking staff know that you'd like prayer and they will direct you somewhere where one of our team would come and pray with you in your car for the things that you're facing. We love you guys. Have a great week. Enjoy the sunshine. Don't get a sunburn. We love you. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.